This is the Book Marketing Action Podcast, and I'm Becky Robinson. Since 2012, my team and I have partnered with more than 100 authors to launch more than 130 business books. On this podcast, I'll share the best insights and actionable ideas from our work so that you can implement sustainable activities to reach your goals for your book. Whether you're a seasoned author looking to breathe new life into your book or someone who dreams of writing a book someday, this podcast will help you be more successful in getting results as an author. Hi, everyone. This is Becky Robinson, and I'm glad to be with you for another episode of the Book Marketing Action Podcast. And today I have a very special guest, author and consultant, Jennifer Brown. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks so much, Becky. I'm happy to be here. So before we dive in, Jennifer, I hope you'll take a moment to tell our listeners about yourself, your books, and your work in the world. Well, thank you for asking. Yes, I have been in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space for over a decade. I've had my own company in the space. We originally started as a leadership development firm and a team building firm before I knew DEI was a thing. And lo and behold, we have built the team and now we get to work across probably mainly Fortune 1000 companies, so large organizations to help them not only build their DEI strategies top down, but do that training and education piece that supports that strategy. And also we have a specialization in diversity networks. So what's called employee resource groups or affinity groups of all kinds. And I keynote a lot. I have two books. The first book is called Inclusion from 2017. And then the second is How to Be an Inclusive Leader, which just came out in 2019, right before 2020 shut us down and subsequently blew up in terms of the important and difficult year that it was. And yeah, it's been a wild ride to be in this field and in this work and in this conversation. But it's not new to us. We've been in it for a very, very long time, even though the topic may be, I think, enjoying the most appreciation and motivation and appetite that we've ever experienced. And I know we're so grateful, not just to be busy, but the fact that it's become extremely important. I agree with you, Jennifer. It is great to see organizations focusing more on these important topics related to DEI. And I'm curious, you've been in the space for a while, and I know from having watched your journey that you are quite active in leveraging social media to share your important ideas in the world. So I'd love to hear about your journey in using social media channels. And as you started your company and brought your books to market, what important role social media channels have played in your reaching audiences with your work? Yes, we've been very, I'd say, Twitter forward. So I do have the handle on Twitter at Jennifer Brown, believe it or not, which should signal that it was a very long time ago. (laughs) Common name that it is. And somehow, even not being terribly technology savvy, I figured Twitter out early on. And honestly, it was an incredible place just using the hashtags for diversity, the hashtag for inclusion and equity. We weren't even really talking about that back a decade ago. And belonging was not also discussed as a word related to the work. So anyway, the very beginner hashtags of the conversation allowed you to locate other practitioners, locate other people internally doing the work. And so it was a way to see and be seen and find each other and build community and swap best practices, which is so, in my world, so critical. You know, you can't learn DEI in a book really. It's one of the challenges and also one of the beautiful things about the field is that it's sort of the body of knowledge lives in all of us and it's constantly evolving. And I love that about it. But as a result, I think the need to connect 
to other practitioners and advocates and understand what they're doing. And the fact that everybody's so generous and so open and transparent about what we do means that we are constantly collaborating across industries. And you would think that competitors wouldn't speak to each other, but we all stay in touch with each other. We all support each other's work. Social media's also allowed me to, it is the opposite of selfish. It is the pouring into the field and into the conversation and in literally learning to use your platform that you've built to share it with others. And we still do that to this day constantly. And I send probably way more things to promote about that other people are doing than I do for what we're doing, or at least it's probably 50-50 and others do the same for us. So it's just been, it's been so important. And also to be able to observe and learn and listen in on conversations that are happening amongst what I'll call single identity communities are extremely important for me, particularly if I'm not a part of those communities. And so it's a way when we talk about allyship, which is essentially what I teach, one of the major first steps is listening and learning and observing and putting yourself in locations, either physical or virtual, where you are not intruding, but You are observing, you're picking up language, you're listening, you're learning new frameworks, you're educating yourself on history that was never taught. You are literally witnessing people find their voice in all of their intersectionality. And that is happening in social media in such a unique way and in a very intimate way. So it's allowed me to kind of chart the landscape, if you will, as somebody who teaches about so many different diversity dimensions, many of which, most of which aren't my lived experience. I have to know a little about a lot of things. And my goal is to learn a lot and know a lot about a lot of things, right? Because that just makes me more effective. So there's really no other place you can do that that's better than social media. Well, this is a really interesting perspective, Jennifer, and one that I haven't spoken about on the podcast yet. So I'm wondering if you could tell those who might be listening who aren't acquainted with this idea of social media as a listening and learning tool Mm -hmm. in what way they might actually go about this. So if I'm an author who's listening and I viewed social media primarily as a place to share what I want to share with Mm -hmm. others, what might it look like for me to explore or discover a means of listening and learning on Twitter, for example, or LinkedIn? Yeah. And people misunderstand or they're not using the full capacity of these tools, right? When they say, why would anybody care what I had for breakfast? I'm like, okay, come back to me when you (laughs) really engage. Um, You might be pushing out, but it's a pull too, right? So be thinking about yourself as this like filter through which knowledge comes and goes. And I would really recommend mapping out your, let's call it your competitive landscape just for now, right? And I don't love that word, but your shared market, if you will, or your shared conversation, your shared interests and passions. You find your community online and then you locate what I would do as an author in a field is I would want to know all the influencers in that field. I'd want to know the loudest voices with the biggest followings, with the most shares, right? With the Apparent what I can observe anyway as the biggest networks, which is hard to quantify sometimes, but you can look at numbers of followers and influence and things like that. Also, who's kind of out in front using their voice and really being very proactive. There's no one answer. You know, I'm a bit more of a retweeter than I am a sort of original shares person. There are some people that are extremely comfortable with the modality and have so much to say and write really long threads. And I love being a reader of those threads. Those are really important. And they're like Twitter's version of a deep dive, right, into more of a blog. 
So I, I think to retweet things you value, give some love and appreciation to people who are really, really using the platform to educate and really putting your, themselves out there. And then, like I said, I mean, find people to promote. I promote my competitor's stuff all the time. I push it out. I give a signal boost. You do actually comment on things too. I'll say, don't miss this or make sure to make time for this or put this in your calendar because I know people are looking to me to point them somewhere. And so when you get to my level, you've got eyeballs kind of, and you get to direct those eyeballs, which is so cool. So the give back is enormous. So you find your community of interest, but I also think there's parallel communities, right? Sort of adjacent communities. And so for me in DNI, my adjacent communities that I keep an eye on are HR or talent management or corporate social responsibility or like technology in terms of work from home and virtual work. So I think of it like a bullseye where the most relevant is the inside ring. And then the concentric circles that go out from there are the communities I dabble in, right? I kind of keep an eye on, or I go there to also get my name into those concentric rings as well, because those are kind of my current and future bigger audiences as well. So, but I also go there to listen, to sort of tune in to different frequencies of what are they talking about over here? What are the big issues over here? What's like the latest and greatest article in XYZ and who's sharing it and how many times has that gone out and been commented on and whatever. So it's just this way of having your finger on the pulse that I just think that these days, the news and the research is changing and the conversation and the vocabulary in every single field is changing so quickly. We need to be very of the moment. And I think any professional has to sort of deal with that. And some of us may be less or more comfortable with that. But I think it's incumbent on us to, in this ever-changing, chaotic world, unpredictable world, the thought leader that we all should, I think, be striving to be as authors, whether you do that very loudly or you do it quietly or something in between that feels really authentic for you, it's incumbent on anyone that's striving to have that voice, to have that finger on the pulse. And there's really nothing else that does it like... In fact, I know everything that's in the New York Times before I read it. And I know they're dynamically updating their stories, but I know about it from Twitter and what's trending on Twitter or what's being talked about on LinkedIn, et cetera. So I know for me, my clients look to me to have that and be ahead of it. And I want time to kind of think about it, process it and formulate my opinions on things because I inevitably will be asked. So I would imagine a lot of listeners could probably relate to that. So social media is your way to stay in the moment and up yeah. to speed and ahead of the curve on the learning that's happening in your spaces. That's right. That's right. So how have your perspective or your practices related to social media changed over the years since you first got started? Well, I mean, I have a team now, which is so wonderful. So literally, uh, I don't need to be take it all the way from, hey, let's share this article out to the sharing of it, to the tagging finding people's handles so that we can make sure we're acknowledging the correct people that are related to something like that takes a lot of legwork. So to have a team enables us to share just the volume of what we can get out is better and higher. So that has changed. It used to just be me. <laughs> and I don't have as much time to spend kind of combing through what's happening on Twitter today. What are people sharing? What are my favorite voices talking about? So I think that's changed and, and hence the need, I think, for the team to just be monitoring it. Having people be able to share in your voice is something that when you start to scale or if you decide to scale your business is something we all wrestle with. And finding somebody who 
kind of picks out the nuggets of things and knows what you would pick out and knows how to do that when you don't have time to is difficult. I mean, you could argue it's a, it might be teachable. It may not really be learnable because it's very instinctual as well. So it's been interesting. I guess what I'm talking about is like scaling yourself, right? And how you can be everywhere all the time. But on LinkedIn, because we haven't talked about LinkedIn too much, we really use it a lot. And I have a team that helps push out to all of our new connections, my introductions. I want to let people know where they can find out more about us. And that we've got 30,000 connections on LinkedIn and actually we're capped at 30. (laughs) We can't figure out how to get over it. So if anyone's listening to this and knows, we literally have to sort of disconnect from a bunch of people in order to make more room to connect with people. But LinkedIn, I find, is a more sort of stable, slow-moving corporate kind of audience for us, which is, I think, more of a business driver given we're a consulting firm that mainly is a B2B firm working with large organizations. Like LinkedIn is where that lives all day long. So I would say having the arms and legs to aggressively connect with people in your space, again, and sharing out and doing kind of the same things I talked about on Twitter is really critical on LinkedIn as well. I love the platform for different reasons. It's fascinating to see, oh gosh, for me, like who works at what company? What are they doing? I don't think there's as much sharing on Twitter about like the best practices because there's just no room to do it, but you can do much more long form examples on LinkedIn and get much more into the weeds. You could do LinkedIn Lives which I know a lot of us are starting to do into complement maybe a podcast or et cetera. So those StreamYard allows you to simultaneously broadcast across many different mm-hmm. platforms and so and do sort of Q&A real time, which is really fun. And I think very, you could do that on Instagram too, of course. And even Clubhouse is another modality we've been exploring. There are some diversity conversations going on in there, which is purely audio. So if you don't know, know about Clubhouse, definitely look into it. So Gosh, we're constantly thinking about, especially in our outgoing messages, our outbound messages in LinkedIn, thinking about in how few characters can we describe something that might be interesting to somebody, whether it's an upcoming online program we're running. You'd asked Becky about like, what are my practices in the pandemic? One thing we started to do is literally just started a weekly call back in March of 2020, and it's still going. And last week I had 350 people on the call. So it grew and grew and grew. And now it's become like a destination for gathering practitioners and advocates to talk about like what's new in the field. And the chat is wild. When you print the chat out from an hour, it's 20 pages, single space. My goodness. It's like there are links and best practices and offers to connect and benchmark. And like I was saying earlier, like there are these unmet appetites, I think, in each of our fields. And we, not just marketers, but really conveners. I think of myself as a space holder and a convener and a platform and a facilitator. And so when we started the calls, it was just so great with no plan at all, just to bring kind of friends on and have them guest with me and react to comments and questions in the chat. I mean, really, that's kind of the extent of the plan. So sharing that call every week on LinkedIn, right on Twitter and getting sort of our marketing geared up so that we have our guests ahead of time and we have something to share that's polished. And we've evolved into that. And the team has evolved into being able to work ahead of schedule. And we now have guests booked out every week until late March, I think. But for a while we were winging it. So I think my advice to authors is like jump in and start to hold something regular that people can come and discuss the thought leadership, whether it's yours or theirs or something in between that you've co-created. And then it gives you something to then market that feels like you're adding value versus something you're trying to sell. We don't charge for it. It's just a gathering. And 
it's just been so amazing to stay connected to my community in that way through a pandemic, which grounded all of us. And yet the work continued and changed, right? And changed so rapidly going through George Floyd and social justice movement of last summer and like the importance even more of having our finger on the pulse because we're the ones that were being asked to respond. So it's been an enormous learning experience. We have been greatly enriched by those calls. And I think it's shifted our business, honestly, to sort of have that ear to the ground that we have now and what we're able to offer in terms of insights. That sounds really, really powerful, Jennifer. And I hope we can share some information about that in the show notes. I'm curious, you mentioned scaling and involving a team in your social media presence. So before we wrap up the conversation, I would love to hear, is there one part of social media that you think you can't outsource? So what's the most important way for you, Jennifer, to show up? Hmm, That's a great question. I don't know if this is an answer to your question, but I could do a lot more personal shares. I default to the professional share and the stuff about our capabilities. I think that the piece, writing from the heart, reacting in real time to painful news, and God knows we've been through a hard year and we're still in the thick of it, the responding and writing your feelings in any given moment. And those kinds of shares get so like sort of this giant reaction. They People love them. They love seeing you unvarnished, really kind of seeing the vulnerability. And so I know that it's funny enough, I'm saying this is not probably true for everybody because maybe some listeners are like, oh, I have no problem with that stuff. It's the other stuff Jennifer has been talking about that we don't do a good job of. So I just think there's many kinds of people. And some of us are so accustomed to like the business side of sharing. And I think have to work on the vulnerability of putting out that vulnerable share that's not polished. And then others of us are so good at that. You know, we could do it all day long. So anyway, ideally there's a balance of this, right? Where it's really feels like Jennifer in this moment. And then there's other stuff where I think of it more as like the firm is sort of sharing it out and the machine is getting it out. So it's that classic dichotomy And again, I don't know how many of your listeners have like a company and then a personal brand, but it's this classic dichotomy and that we straddle those of us who have both of those things. I even have two websites and we play around with what that means. It makes sense to us because we have the Jennifer Brown Speaks, which is the personal brand, which is the author, podcaster, thought leader piece where I get to expand and grow and stretch into whatever I want to. And then we have Jennifer Brown Consulting, which is what is much more of a straightforward place for clients to come who know they need strategy help and they know they need training help, et cetera. And so it's just been really interesting to straddle these two things. And I think we'll continue to because there's some powerful, I think, clarity in both of those things for the future, for future books that I might write, for the future of the consulting business to be a sort of standalone, like sort of entity in its own right that yes, has my name on the door, but is like fully equipped and actually is the biggest part of my business actually. So yeah, it's been really, it's an interesting (laughs) challenge. So all of you who are, maybe you start to follow me, you can say, but what do you think, Jennifer? You could put me on the spot if you want. I don't love being put on the spot. (laughs) Well, I definitely think that that's something that we have to wade through. I'm sure that we do have some individual authors listening who really only have to worry about their personal channels, but certainly others who balance between kind of the corporate image and the personal image. And it's an important reminder, Jennifer, to take the time to show up. So as we always do on the Book Marketing Action Podcast, we want to leave you with a couple of actions that you can take immediately to grow your brand and market your book. So Jennifer, what are one or two things that we talked about so far today that you hope our listeners will implement soon? 
Yes. Well, your book is full of riches, right? There's so many quotes in there, excerpts. There are adjacent, I would say, authors or voices or clients or customers, if you think of it that way, that could interview you in a format and that could be shared in social as well and vice versa. So I always have thought a podcast is a beautiful compliment to a book, whether it's you being interviewed or you interviewing. It allows you to bring new audience to you and also share platform and voice with others and sort of insert where you can pieces of your own thought leadership and get the word out about the book in that way. So I think that authors have a wonderful opportunity, both in Twitter and LinkedIn, to kind of signal to the people you want to attract to you, like, hey, here's what I'm talking about. And here's what I think. Here's my point of view. And here's an excerpt that hit me today and felt very relevant to share. And I wonder what you would share in response. Those powerful invitations to interact with your thought leadership are all people are really looking for. And you'll find they'll step through the door, they'll join you. And you might start with one or two. And if you struggle with that, I would perhaps recommend you tag friendly friends in there and colleagues and people who will have your back and start an exciting hub of conversation. And people will be attracted to that and jump on board and hopefully weigh in. And I know we didn't talk a lot about, Becky, the sort of sensitivities around those who are not so constructive in terms of their responses, but we do need to start somewhere. And I think controlling your narrative in that way and kind of having that point of view in that very strong place protects us from some of those that will come in and kind of disrupt in a way that's not productive. But I don't think we can opt out just because of fear of that. I think we have to push through because we will attract much more positivity than we will the negativity, I think. So I just want to leave everybody with that and make sure that was addressed too. Yeah, that's a really good reminder. So taking that bold step to share and involve others. So before we wrap, I'd love to have you tell our listeners, Jennifer, how they can find out more about you, your work and your books. And we'll put all these links in the show notes. Thank you so much. So I have a podcast called The Will to Change. So check that out. We're in our third year. I do have two books. The first is Inclusion from 2017. The second is How to Be an Inclusive Leader, 2019. We have a assessment. If you go to jenniferbrownconsulting.com, we have a leadership assessment about inclusive leadership. So it's 10 minutes. It's free. You'll get a report out and a quote unquote score around where you are in our continuum. So I'd recommend you seek that out. We have some online courses you'll see also on Jennifer Brown Consulting for those of us that are just starting out with our foundational knowledge with DEI. And then in social media, which has been the topic today, I'm at Jennifer Brown on Twitter. I'm at Jennifer Brown Speaks on Instagram. And then you can find us pretty easily on Facebook and LinkedIn, Jennifer Brown Consulting. And I think that's everything. <laughs> Hopefully it's fantastic. And I think I'm connected to you and following you on all the places. But one thing I'll do today is make sure of that. So thanks again for joining us for today's podcast. I hope you got value. I hope you'll implement something that you heard today. And if you have any questions or I can be of help to you in any way, you can always email me. I'm Becky at weavinginfluence.com. And we'll be back with you next week for another conversation and our social media series on the Book Marketing Action Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you invested some time with me. I hope you'll subscribe today and tell a friend about our show. Our website has many additional resources to help guide you no matter where you are on your book marketing journey. Check out the show notes of this episode for links to valuable free resources to support you. 